Welcome to a new episode of the Living Fuel Podcast. I'm your host, Manoli. And I'm Nicole. Now, let's get into the good stuff. In today's episode, we're talking to my mentor, the amazing Dr. Cesar Lara. Dr. Lara is a world-renowned and board-certified weight loss doctor, and his programs have helped thousands of people release excess weight and regain vibrant health. In his recent years, Dr. Laura has become a licensed shaman and has started healing his patients through energy work, making him one of the most dynamic healers in today's field of medicine. This combo really unpacks so much, so let's jump in. Theo Caesar, it is a pleasure to have you on, and it's an honor for us to have you as one of our guests. We have so many exciting things to talk about, but before we get into it, I wanted to make a little bit of an introduction on our guest today, and he's much more than a medical doctor to me. He's a family friend. He's been a lifelong mentor for me, and he's actually one of the first people who pushed me into this whole world of medicine and healing, and he was actually one of the first people who believed in me as a healer, so I want to thank you for that because now, four or five years later, this is my full life's work. And you were one of the first people that opened my eyes and gave me the confidence to pursue this field of medicine. So thank you for that. And welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's been a blessing for me to have seen you evolve and grow and continue into journey and uh, become of service to the world. Because that's really at the end of the day, you know, it's how can I be of service to others? And of course, both of you are an example of being able to rise to that experience. So I feel blessed to have you both in my life. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate that. So I think it's really interesting to start with your journey as, you know, a traditional medicine doctor, a Western doctor who was a physician, and you've helped people for probably over 30 years now in this field. And you've made some really big transitions in the way that you practice medicine. And I would love to learn about those big moments for you when you started to integrate more nutrition and spirituality and energy work into the things that you do. Yeah. So looking back at my uh, journey, uh, I've always, since I was very young, always uh, felt called to become a uh, doctor uh, and to be able to help uh fix people, you know, in the sense of what doctors do. They help improve people's health and they deliver babies and they're there uh, in all aspects of life. And so I became very dedicated to that goal. And in the process of that, uh, having emigrated from uh, Central America, Guatemala, and then uh, being able to come to the United States at the age of 11, uh, settled in in Chicago and initiated my journey in terms of the uh, experiences that were to come in under that environment as an immigrant person, a young boy uh, aspiring to be a doctor. And through significant challenges and, and, uh, uh, and uh, obstacles that uh, obviously were not uh, in, con- in the consistency to open the doors for me to achieve what I wanted, uh, I was able to be guided uh, to a large extent by having a strong uh, family background where my mother 
and my father uh, always felt that education was key. And so there was always a support, even though we came from uh, limited uh, resources as immigrants, uh, we dedicated ourselves to the importance of education. And so my father's and mother's uh, uh, perspective in those days is that uh, there's probably not going to be anything left for you guys in terms of uh, uh uh, something that I'll leave you uh, when we pass, but it's your title, your education. And so we were very focused on that. And so I was fortunate enough that through the process of faith, which was a significant part of my journey, because uh, through each obstacle, you know, it's easy for you to say, well, it's not meant to be. I cannot do this. I, you know, look at look at where I am and where I need to be. I'll never be able to do that. Every statistic shows you otherwise. But, mm -hmm. you know, my mother had the gift of having that strong faith. And that came by uh, uh, within the context of her uh, understanding by being able to connect with the power higher than us and bring that into me. And so uh, through the process of all that wonderful uh, uh, awakening experience in terms of me beginning to understand that I can achieve the impossible if I believe that the impossible is possible. Mm -hmm. uh, I eventually uh, got into medical school. Uh, and that journey is one that is, uh, uh, I like to highlight a particular part of it, is that when I first started medical school, uh, not medical school, when I first started college, uh, my I was a pre-med biology, and my first semester I got a D in biology and an F in English and dropped every single class. So literally wow. I started with a GPA of less wow. than one. Uh, wow. And so uh, that was a huge journey to be able to achieve because, as you know, anybody is going to go into medical school, you better be at 3.8, 4.0, oh, yeah. 4.5. Uh, and so there was this kind of experience. But through the process of just never giving up on pushing and working, I was able to elevate. And so from the perspective of what I was able to show in my applications in those days was that I started here and I'm ending here. Uh, so there was a, a, a shift in the change. And so that uh, separated me from all those guys that were always at this level because then I looked like I could achieve the impossible. And so I was able to get to medical school. I really wanted to be uh, an amazing doctor. And um, eventually I settled in on uh, family medicine because I could take care of the kids. I could take deliver the babies, take care of the grandmas and be able to handle all aspects of it. And so I very enthusiastically went into family medicine. Uh, I came to Florida and, and uh, opened up my um, uh, private office here uh, some 30 years ago and initiated the process of just being what I always wanted to be. And I became very successful. Uh, I had a large practice. I probably had the largest practice in our community in terms of primary care, had an average of 12, 15 patients in the hospital any one time, and of course, taking care of full offices. And then somewhere in that journey, you know, with the HMOs, the PPOs, the insurance companies, the referrals, and how to work mm -hmm. this whole system mm -hmm. of what I now call sick care, right? Because obviously, mm -hmm. Our Western system does not really allow us to focus on how to 
how to make us well. It really focuses more on how do we put a bandaid on, on a problem that you have. Yeah. And so, yeah. during those years of uh, uh, of evolving, I began to recognize that even though I had a very successful practice, I became chairman of my department multiple times and multiple hospitals. Was in different boards in reference to the health system, and just working, trying to be of service. I realized that I wasn't really getting anywhere in terms of really making a difference in my patient's lives. Uh, the average patient, as you know, at, at the age of 50, 60, is taking an average of three different medications. You know, somebody comes in with a cholesterol problem. Here's a statin, blood pressure. Yeah. Here's a blood pressure pill. Oh, your sugar is kind of high. Let's get you started on a, uh, on a um, medication. And so I realized along that journey, after about uh, a good 10 to 15 years of journeying in that, that there was something more that I needed to do. I could not become just a Band-Aid doctor, that all I knew how to treat was by prescribing these expensive medicines that that nine out of 10 times were creating more problems than the patient started with. And it was my mother who was the bird that has always been this amazing support system for me, but it was also part of her experience that allowed me to evolve to to make a big shift. And that's one day she comes to me and says, Mijo, um, is there anything, that any pill that you can give me because I don't feel good? And so I started looking at all her charts and, you know, she was being handled by top doctors in Chicago that I had trained with. Uh, and so sure enough, she was on the right blood pressure pills. She was on the right cholesterol pills. Mm-hmm. She was a diabetic and she was on the right three or four different medicines that they had around that time. And so at the end of it, I realized that she's perfectly fine from the perspective of the paper and from the perspective of what I would be doing with any other patient that walked in the door similar to her. So then suddenly I went, bing, there's something more to it here. And that's when I realized that I needed to shift my pattern so that instead of putting Band-Aids, I started focusing then on uh, the ability to help patients release excess weight. And so my mother was one of my primary patients. She was about 50, 60 pounds of excess weight. I was able to help her reduce that excess weight. And of course, as you release that excess weight, you release all these toxins, you release all these inflammatory processes, which eventually leads uh, to get rid of the blood pressure pills, the cholesterol pills, the diabetes pills. And suddenly her mind is clear. She's feeling much better. She's taking care of herself. And so that was a beginning in terms of going into what I consider now lifestyle medicine, which is really focusing in instead of me looking at a patient from the perspective of, okay, I need to give him this pill, that pill, that pill. The question now is, how do I make this person healthier? And so nutrition is key because from the very beginning, I remember my great-grandparents, yeah, and you may have a similar experience, that they were always told, you are what you eat. Right. Yeah. And so it's it, it's a it's an old uh, uh, mantra that really creates a, a, a significant impact. And of course, we can look at the world that we live in today in the Western world. I think that there's an average of 180 pounds of sugar that the humans uh, in our community, in our society consume on top of 200 uh, uh, pounds of uh, wheat or, uh, uh, or or those types of products. So at the end of the day, we're inundated with all these uh, uh, sugar uh, products, which of course, at the end of the day, 
is the insulin stupid type of perspective, right? That at the end of the day, you know, there's this relationship between the sugar and the insulin. And we think, oh, my sugars are fine because they're 100, but we don't realize that our insulin is already high to be able to, to keep you at 100. So by the time they go to 120, you're already pretty much uh, a long way into the disease process. And so uh, nutrition became a, clearly uh, an aspect of what I needed to focus on. And I made a shift in my practice, began to open it up, became very successful within the context of what I call giving the power back to the individual so that they can themselves choose what to eat, how to eat, how to move, how to think. And then suddenly they began to release all these toxic experiences. Within the context of that journey, uh, several years down the road, I realized that there was more to it than just nutrition. And then I became an expert in uh, uh, advanced hormonal optimization. So really looking at where, what is the role of the thyroid? What is the role of testosterone? What is the role of estrogen? And especially as you get into your early 40s and, uh, and early 50s, there's a significant shift that begins to occur. And then we go in a, you know, we go from the perspective of, okay, you're 50. Oh, you have high heart disease now. now. Now you have more belly fat. You have no energy. Oh, I can't do something because I'm 50. I'm not 30 anymore. So we develop, it's not only the physical, but it's the mindset, right? The mindset oh, that says, sure. you know, because I am this number, therefore I'm no longer capable of achieving anything else yeah, and yeah. what you believe is what you create and so ultimately uh if you think you can or if you think you can't either way you're right right so um that became part of my experience and so very happy very content my patients were definitely being fulfilled i i uh, we were getting rid of diseases empowering patients but there was this element of unhappiness right overwhelmingness so regardless of someone that whether they have $100,000 in their account or $100 or $100 million, there's this happy factor that needs to be instituted within that. And the happy factor has to do with how you feel, has to do with, you know, what traumas you've experienced in your lifetime. And so over the last uh, 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 five years of my life, I recognize that outside of the physical and outside of the mind, uh, with the mind, I'm talking about the mindsets, understanding how that works optimally. I was able to then go back into uh, South America and study um, uh, the ancient traditions of, of the Keros, which are uh, the indigenous population uh, emanating from the uh, uh, Incas that really held the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, wisdom that the Spaniards in their conquest tried to eradicate, but they ran up all the way to the mountains. And in 1958, 59, they came back to share those uh, uh, wisdom traditions with us. And I am now fortunate to uh, have evolved into having that wisdom. And therefore I am now a shaman who also happens to be a doctor. Uh, but in that process, mm -hmm. what really comes to light is that we have this energetic field and, and so in order to recognize that it's easy for us to realize that, you know, the physical body needs to be nurtured and needs to be uh, taken care of. Uh, but the mind, even if you're taking good care of your body, if your mind is not in the right place, it can make you sick or it can make you well. So we have the ability to know that the mind overrides the body. And then energetically, the energy overrides both the mind and the body. So to create a complete shift 
in the ability to experience our uniqueness within the context of the journey that we currently find ourselves. We need to access our ability to not only heal the body and the mind, but also reconnect with our essential self. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So That's a long winded. No, so <laughs> much great things to unpack there. Your your story is incredible. I mean, I have never heard of such like a, a yeah. shift three separate times into the space. I, I don't know a single Western physician, family mm-hmm. doctor, who's also a shaman that just doesn't exist. I don't, I, you probably <laughs> count on one hand how many of those there are out there. And I think it's just a testament to you being willing to understand that the truth that you thought you knew is not always right. And you're always willing to learn and explore and adjust what you teach and what you preach and the things that you're doing to help people from just family doctor to an expert in weight loss If anyone's ever been to Clearwater, they know that your face is all over the billboards on US 19. (laughs) And I mean, super successful business. Most people would have just been happy with that. But you had an inner voice that said, maybe there's something more I can do. How can I actually help people on a deeper level and create lifelong change? And that's what you've now gotten into with the second phase or the third phase of maybe even the work that you do. I want to hear from you some of the things that you believe are really important in terms of weight loss foundations from the first element, which is the nutrition and the lifestyle medicine side. What are some of the things people can start doing today or tomorrow to start feeling better and to getting to the weight that their body wants to be at? So I think, you know, the the primary principle that I would say is the uh, the pink elephant in the room, uh, in reference to the challenges with uh, uh, obesity epidemic, it comes down to the sugar, you know, and you can look at that from the perspective of the industry. Our government has been subsidizing since somewhere in the 1960s, the sugar industry. Uh, of course, we went through this, uh, um, through this. Uh, big lie where all of a sudden uh, one of the, uh, 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 physicians that was working for the army uh, was appointed, I think, by the Johnson administration in those days to come up with uh, a nutritional element that would help uh, 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 our communities. And so he decided that the, that what was wrong with it is that we we're eating too much fat. And so we went through this process of too much fat and uh, and therefore cut down the fat and then yeah. let's let's give you the sugar. And so that's where we saw that epidemic. So today it continues to be that. I mean, I think that you know, I tend to look at uh, at uh, uh, carbohydrates as sugar, and so uh, it is not uncommon for a person to have uh, an equivalent of a hundred grams of carbohydrates a day. Sometimes they can easily, you know, uh, 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 have a significant even more amount of that. So. For every five net carbs is equal to one teaspoon of sugar. So in essence, your body only needs a half a teaspoon of sugar to survive. That's all your body needs to maintain that sugar level of 90 to 100 with the amount of liters that you have. So half a teaspoon of sugar, but yet we're putting an average of 20, 30 teaspoons of sugar into our body at all times. And and so that begins the cascade of negative experience because you begin to raise your insulin to accommodate for that. Insulin is the number one fat maker. It's also one of the most inflammatory hormones out there. Of course, we need it to live on, but at low levels, not at the high levels that we have become accustomed to. And so for me, the primary thing that I would tell a patient is you need to look at the amount of carbohydrates. If it comes in a bag, 
don't don't get it. For the most part, things that are coming in a bag uh, tend to be manufactured. So I try to be holistic in the look, chew and swallow whenever possible, because mm -hmm. that's how you really connect with the food. Uh, yeah. Vegetables, 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 vegetables. And when you think you had enough greens, have some more greens because they <laughs> hold the power to turn our genes into the long to turn off the uh, genetic. Uh, messages that create disease and turn on the genetic messages that can create health and longevity. And that has been proven in multiple studies historically. And so for me, it's really about learning to uh, uh, cut back on the sugars and then mm -hmm. learning to understand the other principle will be learning to understand where the food comes from. So it's not it's not just about, okay, I'm going to cut down the sugars and guess what? I'm going to eat lots and lots of kale and I'm going to eat uh, strawberries and I'm going to eat uh, the spinach when you, when you really need to realize that it's not just kale and spinach and strawberries. They're definitely wonderful foods and they have superpowers that we can benefit from. But if they're not organic, they hold the most amounts of pesticides out of any other substances out there. So people don't realize that they continually are poisoning themselves by allowing that to happen. So for me, it's about decreasing the sugar and it's about, and it's about learning where does the food come from and learning to connect with, with that source in a more spiritual way rather than just the physical uh, experience principles that we live by. Just going back to what you said about the Band-Aid thing, Manoli and I both had struggles where we were put on reoccurring antibiotics and you know, I had chronic UTIs, he had chronic sinusitis. And I, I really do believe that the body's trying to tell you something when these things are happening. So turning to nutrition, like you said, and the sourcing of your food and you know, foods that are going to nourish you, we find that that helps our clients so much so that they can overcome some of these chronic illnesses and, and things that their body is being burdened with. So yes, the sort yeah. thing is, is something we're super passionate about. And we're definitely hoping one day to be on a farm and be able to grow our own food. And <laughs> that's the goal. Have that ultimate connective experience with our food. That's, that's definitely our goal. What do you tell someone who maybe lives in rural you know, let's say in the middle of the United States in a place like Kentucky where maybe they don't have a Whole Foods within 30 miles of them and all they have is like a Walmart and a Target. What do you tell that person if they're not willing to start growing their own food or they don't have the space for it? How do you tell them to start making better food choices? Well, the first of all, they need to understand the importance of it. So the first thing is just getting them to understand that uh, what the, what they're they're in the midst of becoming a, a statistic, right? In other mm -hmm. words, we are all in this, when you think in terms of the linear world, we believe in terms of a statistical analysis or probabilities, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so that individual, if he's not really take, if he doesn't shift to begin to make choices, better choices for themselves, are going to become a statistic. And the statistics are that most of us will die from heart disease. That's mm -hmm. the general <laughs> the, the general nature most of us if we live to be 85 50 percent of us will forget who we are because we have alzheimer's yeah. is diagnosable if we yeah. live to be 90 about 75 percent of them are already with alzheimer's so we have this chronicity of experience so i think it, it, it would be simple the main thing is you need to shop for vegetables you know that 
and, and unfortunately, mm -hmm. a lot of patients don't do that. Uh, in if, if you're really limited in terms of like the ability of vegetables, then you need to then look at other sources. And today's world, I mean, you can just go on the internet. I mean, I see some of the products that, that you are uh, 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 showing in your website. You yeah. know, they're powerful. They're they're very powerful type of products that can help. You know, to me, it's not ideal to drink a powder drink, you know, sure. because I rather, you know, eat right from mother and, and be able to taste that and be able to chew it and swallow. There's things that are in it that cannot be composed in a certain way. But at the mm -hmm. other hand, you know, if somebody doesn't have access to that ability, has, as you said, have their own farm and be able to do the right things to grow the right type of food, there's actually access to being able to you know, just go on Google, shop for it. And before you know it, you got it in your doorstep the next day. Mm -hmm. So it's, a, it's again about learning the importance of nutrition, the importance of supplementation, because uh, the tomato that we eat today doesn't have the amount of nutrients that it did 30 years ago, uh, assuming that it's organic, right? Even an organic one is not going to have the nutrients that it did because our mother earth is already deficient in nutrients. And so it just, it's it just part of what has happened. So I think that there's definitely hope for those that even if they're isolated, uh, and then the other part of it is bringing the spirituality of that into it. So, uh, I've kind of have shifted a lot of my perspective so that anytime I'm going to eat something like a meal, I try to r r give attention to the food by trying to think I give thanks to all the abundance of microorganisms that went into making this beautiful food, yeah. to giving thanks to the mineral kingdom that is existing within this food, to the animal kingdom that gave up their energy so that I can fulfill my job, you know. And I go through the process of kind of looking at the plant kingdom, the human kingdom, and realizing that what I have in front of me, even though it's just a bowl of, of whatever, you know, it's actually magic. And that yeah. magic is about to come into my body. And so yeah. by putting your hands over it and bringing attention to the intention of what you want that food to do in you, you actually have the ability to increase the frequency of that food and be able to benefit more profoundly. That's that's powerful stuff. Um, and it kind of reminds me of this study that I saw once where they took two oranges and one of the oranges was given praise and people kind of sat with it longer and really gave it like all of their attention and energy. And then they just brought in another group. And I think like nine out of 10 of those people actually chose the orange that was given that praise and love, which yeah. is yeah. just mind boggling that something like that could be connected to our food on such a spiritual level. People are, you know, hunched over their desk and they're eating so quickly. They're barely even looking at their food and they're working. And by the time their meal's over, they barely even remember what they ate or how it tasted. So I think that's just a good takeaway for our listeners to really try and just be more mindful while they're eating. And just to piggyback to what Nicole said, you know, understanding where your food comes from. I mean, even up until recently, I never even thought I never even thought about it myself. And now I understand that the apples that I see at Whole Foods could be six months old. It could be coming from California. You know, they could be stored and waxed and Shame. preserved and they all look so perfect right? They all look identical, like an apple you'd see in a coloring book. But that's not really how our food is supposed to look. And if you go to Greece, which we do in the summers, and they haven't caught on to commercial agriculture like we have in the States, you go into the grocery stores and a lot of things look different. 
And one of them is the, the fruit and the produce is imperfect. There's dirt on it. The apples are growing with little bumps on them. The carrots are sideways, right? It's not a perfect orange shiny stick. And that opened my eyes to, wow, you know, maybe our food is supposed to look like this. And when you get into the science, you learn that eating stressed foods, foods that have gone through actual resilience through sunlight and drought and bugs, those foods actually strengthen your body more yeah. than the foods that have an easy life, like the genetically modified crops and the stuff that's fertilized. So I think it's a really powerful message to question where your food comes from, to try to eat more local foods. And it does, it does, yeah, looking at farmer's markets, CSAs, even the local section within Publix or Whole Foods is such a good place to start for people that don't know where to begin. And for the people who are intimidated by, you know, starting a garden in their backyard. I feel completely uh, in agreement with everything that you said, because that's really the way. So, so we talked about the lifestyle things that you've started to coach people through in the past, and then the spiritual element. How does that tie into the work that you're doing now from an energy perspective? And how does things like trapped emotions, how does that correlate with weight loss? Because I know that's a big part of what you were doing the past few years. Yeah. So the way that I've come to appreciate uh, obesity is that it's an uh, outcome of a dysfunctional uh, uh, of a, or an imbalance of, of of your systems approach, right? So there's an imbalance at the level of the physical. There's definitely an imbalance at the level of emotion. And it, just looking at it purely from a scientific perspective, uh, we have the limbic brain, which is basically our flight or fight or freeze response. And that limbic brain is our most ancient part of our brain. And of course, that's the brain that uh, uh, we share in common with reptiles. And yeah. that particular brain is really has, is what keeps us in fear, in anxiety. Cause if you were being chased by a lion, you know, you're going to be doing what you need to do. And at that point, it makes sense that if you have a sugar drink, let's drink it because I need to outrun this guy. And I need that, yeah. that, that uh, energy now, not, yeah. you know, digested if it was a protein. And so that limbic brain is literally craving sugar all the time. And so why do you think that we are so manipulated by the fear within the context of the world that we're living now, whether you're looking at the idea of COVID, it wasn't just about, you know, uh, that I could get sick. It was about that I could be responsible for getting somebody else sick, or I don't know mm -hmm. if I can trust going to see my neighbor because they might have something. So we created this fear related. And obviously what happens when you have fear, your immune system drops, but more importantly, it's the limbic brain that is being overactivated. And when the limbic brain gets overactivated, then we literally live in a universe of anxiety, stress, fear, you know, anger, all of these toxic emotions. So from a nutritional perspective, as you cut back on that sugars, you begin to literally detoxify yourself. And as you begin to increase the healthy fats like omega fish oils, now you bring attention to the neocortex. And the neocortex is the most advanced part of our brain. I think historically, if you look at the ancient humans, they had more of a flatheads that went that way because their neocortex was not present. That came into existence some 50,000 years ago. And that's the brain that allows us to have clarity, that can allow us to uh, uh, 
birth are becoming into reality you know because we can dream it into reality that's the that's the brain of possibilities so i think mm -hmm. from the perspective of uh, uh of emotions a lot of it is tied to the limbic brain and you can see the relationship with what's the most common thing that you hear in people that are overweight oh i'm a stress eater you know uh, i mean if uh, uh, if i'm frustrated if i'm angry i'll grab the cookies i'll grab the chippies sometimes i don't even know that i grab them and it's not in afterwards and now i feel guilty which again is a toxic emotion so we have all these toxic emotions that are creating disruption in our body which of course begins to produce more cortisol. So once we begin to produce more cortisol, our body has no ability to heal itself because it's on a defensive posture. And so I think that that's a shift that could be, that can bring attention to how emotions, toxic emotions are uh, dysfunctional. Now we all have the ability to get angry, but if you got angry this morning because somebody took your parking spot, let's say, you know, and then by the end of the day, you're still angry because somebody took your parking spot. You know, I mean, you're really kind of beginning to, and if you're like a week later, you're still angry because somebody took your parking spot. And you can see how all these things become all of a sudden part of your natural, which is in is by definition uh, out of balance. And so within the context of obesity, emotions definitely play a big role. Now, more directly to your question in terms of looking at the energetic fields. So at that level, what happens is these emotions are deeply rooted in us. So uh, there's one primary example of that is that in the Western society, we have been taught since we were young that we were kicked out of the uh, uh, out of the garden. Okay, that we by definition are sinners, right? So and and that we somehow. As, as a race, as a human, uh, ended up being seduced by Eve, who gave us the apple. How dare Eve, you know, the evilness of the woman. See, you see how that shifts into, into this experience. And so there's this element of shame because all of a sudden we had to cover ourselves. So I think shame is something that is a generational type of a curse that has been brought to us from the beginning of, of that of that time. And so part of the shaman's way is to be able to go back in that time and be able to bring peace and realize that there is no shame, that God is some something that lives within you. So it really gets into the complexity of belief systems that we have created. And so uh, it's um, there are certain structures, certain belief systems, and in order for you to evolve, you need to be able to let go of those belief systems so that you can recreate the experiences that you are that, that are coming forth uh, in, in the forefront. So it's a so shame. I think it's a it's a toxic emotion. Depression, if you're definitely there uh, for a long period of time, is definitely a toxic emotion. Anger, of course, anxiety, uh, fear, and, and and so all of these things are literally the kinds of work. Because most people who are not feeling well that would come to me as a shaman might be somebody that has tried everything, has gone to all kinds of doctors. Similar story that 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 that, that you guys have brought to to the attention that you have been to all these different 
experiences, but yet you're not able to to change your your experience. You still feel like you got no energy. You still feel mm -hmm. like your stomach hurts. You still feel like something, and people are injecting you. They're giving you this. They're giving you that. Well, a shaman takes a different approach. So the approach would be first of all, I need you to welcome that dis that, that dysfunctionality. Right? We cannot run away because what you persist, what what uh, what you what you resist persists right so mm -hmm. if i'm resisting being sick then i'm going to continually be calling that sickness unto myself if uh uh and if i uh uh resist being poor you know not having enough of something so being in lack i'm then i'm really bringing attention to that and i'm actually having that persist in my life so so from a shamanic perspective we really look at realizing that these are gifts right And there's people that can look back and say, you know what? I mean, there was a time in my life where I wish I would have been somebody else, where I wish that I didn't have what I had. But now having gone through what I have, I realized that I was so gifted to have that opportunity because out of that was born my new awakened self that can really touch other lives, which is uh, to some extent a little reflective of your journey. Well, I resonate so much with what you're saying. For context, Dr. Caesar did a energy work session with me a few months ago. It was absolutely incredible just being a part of it and seeing your work. I felt so amazing after. But I, I think what you said really resonates because I feel like when we have this chronic illness or this feeling, or like you said, I'm poor or I don't like my job, we kind of associate ourselves with this identity. Like I have a chronic illness. I am my chronic illness. Yes. But for me to heal and move past my Lyme disease and all these other diagnoses that Western doctors gave me, I really had to make peace with it and say this came into my life for good because had I not had that illness, I wouldn't have created this amazing business with my partner and have been able to help over 10,000 people. So yeah. I think, you know, being able to look at those negative experiences and make them a positive is powerful because back in the day I was very negative. I was a very negative person and my mom would say, she, I would call her during lunch and she knew that I would just kind of rant and complain about every little thing that went on in my day. And now having gone through a life-changing illness, every single day is a blessing for me. And I think God for my ability to walk and hear and see. So I, I really do think that these maybe lows or these uh, identities can kind of bring you into your higher self and push you to, to where you need to be. Yeah. yeah. And Caesar, I think one of the most impactful things that you do, and I'd love for you to share with our listeners, how you approach disease and illness in your clinics and how you've trained your staff to not focus on the negative, but to bring out the positive in every patient. I think that mental piece is incredible. And I, I just want you to touch on that too. So if, to give you the contrast, so historically, when I was this very successful family doctor, you know, going to the hospital and doing all these wonderful things uh, before I was able to acquire the knowledge of, of, the, of the ancient uh, societies, I was... Uh, If I would see an individual, maybe a uh, 50-year-old man uh, with 50 pounds of excess weight, you know, uh, smoking cigarettes, uh, eating whatever, uh, I would literally sit down with him and tell him, hey, "Look, you know, you're a you're a hard you you you're, you're a train wreck waiting to happen. You know, you're going to get diabetes. You're going to lose your kidneys. You're going to get heart attacks." And 
from a statistical perspective, I, I mean, I was in my, I was trying to encourage that patient to, to change their mind. And I was sharing with them the statistical analysis of, of what is likely to happen from that perspective. But what I didn't realize at that time is that I was actually using my words to implant those potential conditions because if a person now believes that they are going to develop that in some sense i am i, I am part of that experience that i'm seeding it and so uh from a shamanic perspective in terms of looking at work with uh, energy you come to appreciate that what you need to what you give attention to is what grows right and you may have heard about that uh, ancient uh uh um, a story of uh, a young man in an indigenous population that tells his grandfather, uh, grandfather, you know, uh, in my dreams, I have this wolf that is really a mean wolf. And and, and, and that mean wolf, uh, you know, is, is part of that. And then I see this other wolf that is just this amazing, beautiful, you know, who's going to win within the context of those two wolves that are fighting in my dreams. And the grandfather said, the one you give attention to, the one you feed, is the one that's going to 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 win, and so that really brings attention to the fact that what we what we give attention to is what grows. So what we give attention to in my practice, what I give attention to when I see a patient, is the beauty and the joy and the opportunity of them to be happy. I see their gifts because they're alive. No matter what it is, even if it's somebody that is on their deathbed, there's an opportunity to awaken and realize that this is an amazing journey that they've had. And so it's about making peace. It's about learning to appreciate what we have and learning to make the best with what we have. And, and and that process begins to then decrease the ability of labels. Uh, so one of the principles of uh, that, that when I sit down with a patient, you know, let's say the patient, I have a weight management practice. So people coming in who are maybe, uh, who are definitely excess weight, maybe 30, 50 pounds. So I sit down with them and I say, so how can I help you today? You know, now, you know, it'll be easy for me to assume, okay, they're here to drop 50 pounds because they need to drop 50 pounds. But it's not, that's, in order for this to happen, they need to see it. And I need to hear what's holding them there. So then I begin to hear the story of, you know, I had this breakup with my husband. I had this childhood child that was sick. I had this trauma. I had this. I cannot do that because my knee, I cannot do it. And so all of a sudden you begin to get a profile of all these belief systems that have accumulated individual, and now you can understand why they are where they are. So understanding that, then part of my work is to begin to reconstruct or, or help them reinvent themselves because they cannot achieve what they want. Anybody can make them drop 30 pounds, easy. Like I always tell them, look, all you need to do is let's invent a new, nutri a new, a new diet. We're going to call it the potato soup diet. You eat potato soup for breakfast, potato soup for lunch, potato soup for dinner. I guarantee you over the next month or so, you'll drop 20, 30 pounds or whatever that is. But you might lose some friends because you're going to be a little gassy. It's not maintainable. It's not sustainable. You know, So it's not about weight loss. It's about becoming healthy. And so even my practice, you know, instead of me looking at how many pounds you're going to release, I now have a little 
sheet that the patients fill out, you know, I have a headache every day or once in a while or, you know, severe, I have stomach problems, you know, I have, I have asthma, I have allergies, I have knee pains, you know, it basically brings attention to this is your toxicity index. This is where you're mm -hmm. starting, you know? Mm -hmm. So as we release weight is really about recreating a balance in your life. And when we recreate that balance, the excess weight goes away naturally. If we just try to force it so that we can just say the potato soup diet example, then we haven't fixed our body. And then within, as soon as we stop eating potato soup, you're going to gain the 50 back plus more. And so you never really got anywhere except continually. And now you have a story that, oh, nothing works for me. I even tried the potato soup diet. So that's another shit, yeah. right? Yeah. Or I can't lose any weight. I tried everything, you know? Oh, well, you can try this. No, I can't, you know, I, so now you have a resistance there and the resistance is based on a belief. And so that's a big part of, of the work that we do to try to change belief systems, realize that we can create the world that we live in. And, and not only we can create the world that we live in, but we have created the world that we live in. So uh, we, yeah. if we want to change it, that means we have to go inside of ourselves to change the perception and then the whole world around us changes. Yeah, those limiting beliefs, I think, is something that's so important to touch on. I know you and I have talked about this before, but I love that you call it weight release instead of weight loss. Even that shift, I think, is powerful and just kind of gets that negative connotation with loss out of yes. the way. Is is that the real reason that you kind yes, of use yes, that? Yes, it is. It, that's exactly what it is. Because when you lose something, it's either going to find you back or you're going to find it back. So there's this tendency to have that relationship with a loss. Uh, and so in this case, what you're releasing is you're releasing toxins. You're releasing those aspects of your life that no longer serve you. Yeah. Another interesting little uh, that I share with you, because he just came to mind and I think you would appreciate it. So to be able to you know, so here's an individual that needs to release 50 pounds. Of course, let's say that individual is frustrated with the fact that they don't fit right into their clothes. They uh, they wish that this stuff could just be cut off of them. Is there anything you could do to get rid of it? And so from my perspective, I like to bring attention to the fact that, you know, the fat cells are there primarily to protect you. That's the mm -hmm. role of the fat cell is to protect you. They protect you against trauma. They protect you against significant uh, starvation. So you have some stored energy. They, they literally uh, cushion your organs so that you don't end up uh, hurting them when you end up falling or something. Uh, of course, they keep us warm. But more importantly, when you end up take, having that cracker, that tastes so good with a little piece of cheese. And you're like, hey, look, you know, it, 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 it looks like it's pretty healthy and it's organic. But then you read in there, it's got, uh, it's got vegetable oil, you know, mm -hmm. and it's got preservatives, you know. And, and you don't realize that because, hey, the calories look okay. But you don't realize mm -hmm. that what you're eating is actually a poison, right? And so that poison is coming now into your body and your body has the wisdom to know that this stuff's not good for me. So what does the body do with that? Well, the fat cells are there to say, bring it my way. I will protect the body by hiding all this stuff inside of me. Okay. And so what I like to do as an exercise with my patients is to put their hands on their areas that they feel the most uh, the uncomfortable with, you know, and let's say it's the abdomen. And I like them to put their hands on there and say, thank you. Thank you, my beautiful fat cells, for saving me. Thank you, my beautiful fat cells, for protecting me. I now am going to 
initiate a process by which I'm going to help you heal. Because what we're doing in the process of releasing the weight is really healing those fat cells so that they now become a healthy fat cell. As you know, the definition of obesity is a sick fat cell disease. So it's a sick adipocyte. So our intention is not to eradicate the adipocytes because we need them, but it's actually to get them healthy so that they can do their wonderful work that we so desperately need to become optimally healthy. So loving your fat is a good way to, to, to shift that energy of I hate myself and realize that this is here really to protect you. That's so cool. I don't think we've ever heard something like that, but I love that perspective. You know, it's it's so true. We're taught to, like our, our body fat is shameful, right? We look at magazines, we see the guy who's got 12 abs, you can't even count them, there's so many. And we look at our stomach, we're like, how do I get there? But to be honest, the person who probably is doing that, bodybuilders, models, it's actually super unhealthy to get to that low of a body fat. And it goes against our natural genetic code. Because like you said, Fat is necessary for starvation, for warmth, for insulating our organs. So we need it. And we're taught to vilify it. And changing that perception of fat, I think, is so, so powerful. Um, One of the things that I wanted to ask you was, in terms of someone who doesn't have this connection with their body and who is afraid of their fat cells and who has these beliefs, what are some of the things that either you practice or you suggest you know, um, someone to start with tomorrow to strengthen this connection and to shut that reptilian limbic brain off and to tap into more of the parasympathetic. How do we start? Well, I think that I think the uh, the key for me is breath. Uh, your breath is everything. So, uh, as you know, most of us are holding our breath most of the time, and so literally. Uh, uh, for me, is I, I like to use uh, the uh, breathe in for four hold it for four, breathe out for four, mm-hmm. hold it for four, do seven cycles of that. Uh, I, that's a, a, a regular prescription that I give my patients because uh, they're continually uh, in, this, in, in, in the midst of this universe of fear, anxiety. And so how do you hack your brain, right, to be able to shift that energy? And the breath is key. Uh, of course, our first breath was when we were born and our last breath is when we cease to be. And so the breath is life. And, and most ancient wisdom societies, whether it's in Bhutan, whether it's in India, whether it's, you know, the indigenous populations, China, breath is key. And so the the unfortunate thing is that we haven't learned how to use the breath. We're just now beginning to understand the importance of breath, but we can actually learn to use the breath to create possibilities. Because when we, when, you know, as the ancient books say, uh, you know, when you, when, when you put in mind and your mind has a vision and your heart is connected with that vision so that you're already feeling as if something already happened and you're seeing it, you can move mountains is the way that the ancient books uh, of wisdom uh, tell us. And so we can begin to understand that when we begin to use our breath because through your breath, and so in shaman work, we use our breath. So for example, I, I will be having a moment and suddenly I get frustrated or suddenly uh, I, you know, uh, some email came in or somebody gave me a negative review or, or, or whatever, you know, circumstances in this world that we live in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
the, as soon as I feel myself kind of feeling a little tense and changing and kind of feeling a little bit of that fear or that anxiety or that anger, whatever that circumstance might be, I immediately recognize it. And then I go, you don't belong to me. And it's out. Mm -hmm. So you're learning to use the breath to cleanse yourself energetically, emotionally is key for my ability to continue to uh, journey in the way that I'm journeying. Because uh, as we were talking before, you know, like we all have shadows, right? And just like uh, uh, the, the, the famous uh, uh, psychiatrist Young brought attention to the shadows uh, that, that we all have, the interesting part is that we can never see our shadows, you know, but they're always behind us, right? And so a shadow in this circumstance could be... Um, the disease, you know, the, the, I can't do this, that I'm not good enough. But when you turn around and you, and you are able to journey into the darkness of, of, of that shadow, you actually, by becoming fearless in that process, because it requires you to be fearless to accept what is to come, then what you end up doing is you're creating what used to be one of your demons now becomes one of your allies. And so now you can walk in peace. So, for example, a shaman has no enemies. You know, that's 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 because a shaman is one that if there is an enemy, the enemy exists in, inside of me. Mm -hmm. It doesn't exist inside that person. So we have to heal that within itself. And so you you begin this process of appreciating how everything that we see in others is a reflection of ourselves. So if you are surrounded by wonderful people and you're like, man, you're so good and I love you and I think you're amazing. Yes, that person can say, oh, thank you. And of course, it's it, you meant it from the heart, but it's also a reflection of you because if you can see that, that means that that lives inside you. Yeah. And the other hand, if you're continually seeing negative things in other people, then it's a part, it, it's a time for you to bring those shadows home and uh, begin to make uh, peace with them and become, uh, let them become your allies. Wow, it's, it's incredible when you put it like that, because at the root of weight loss, as you mentioned, weight loss is usually just a side effect of people changing their mind, their perception, their reality. And then the thoughts that they have create their reality, their new reality. So it's all about rewiring those thoughts. And obviously you are a guru when it comes to that. And one of the strongest mentally people I think I've ever met. We've, I know you, you run marathons like they're nothing. And as you get older, your body's getting younger. And I see it every time, every time we hang out. You pushed me to run a 10K when I was like 15 and I was wearing uh, Marcus's size 15 basketball shoes and I was running around in them and I was thinking, man, I can't, I can't do this. There's no way I'm going to make it. I don't even like running. And you're like, you got this. And you gave such a belief in me that I finished it. And the mind is such a powerful thing. And when you give it those, those beliefs, I think it can do anything. I really yes. do. Yes. And one of the things I want to ask is, You've touched on some of the things that people can start doing, but what do you do on a daily basis? What are some of the key principles that you live by in terms of getting in touch with your inner, you know, your inner spirituality, your power, even, you know, anything you're doing from a nutri nutritional perspective? So, so well? from the nutritional perspective, you know, I definitely try to have an abundance of greens with some nice, healthy protein. You know, um, I probably do intermittent fasting two days a week, you know, so I like to do Mondays and, and Tuesdays intermittent fasting. Um, I think obviously intermittent fasting is 
significantly helpful, specifically to re regenerate the mitochondria and uh, uh, stimulate autophage so that we can actually uh, regenerate ourselves more healthy. Uh, but a lot of people are also focusing on that for weight loss. And in women, it really backfires a lot. And even in older men, it begins to backfire a lot. So you end up dropping because in essence, what you're doing with determined fasting from a caloric perspective, you're decreasing the calories in because you don't have 12 hours to eat. Now you only have six hours to eat. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely a drop and you're definitely making some benefits in terms of your insulin to glucose experience. But at the end of the day, I see that they it go like this and then it plateaus and then they continuing on intermittent fasting, they begin to gain weight. So what I found is that it is a, it's, it's better to combine the two you know, because when you combine the two, then your body's not used to one. You know, it's almost like you, you've heard that if you just eat no carbs, no carbs, no carbs, no carbs, no carbs, you know, well, sometimes your body needs some carbs so that you For can sure. begin to integrate them and then your body can more effectively respond when you get rid of the carbs. So there's this balancing act that we're trying to create. So I do intermittent fasting. I eat lots and lots of greens, of course, uh, healthy proteins. In terms of my uh, exercise, I usually like to go uh, for runs, uh, do a little bit of weight training and do yoga uh, once or twice a week. I try to uh, meditate uh, doing the Wim Hof. Uh, I, I enjoy that a lot. It helps me nice. center. So I do Wim Hof uh, almost every day. Uh, and then throughout the day, I practice, you know, what is called the, the little death, which is this 444 uh, 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 perspective. Uh, I have now, I, I have uh, come in touch with a person that is actually an evolved healer that uses breath to heal. And so I'm beginning to learn a lot more of those ancient concepts where you can hold, you know, breathe in for at the count of 10, breathe out at the count of 10, you know, begin to change the, the, the mechanisms and, and begin to optimize different parts of your body. So breath for me during the day is, is crucial. And whenever I do find myself overwhelmed, I'll do my four, 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 and try to go, to, go into that place so I can shift my brain to, to be creative again. Wow. Lots of, lots of really good tools in there. And I think that's a key message is that it's very hard to live in this perfect state of bliss and happiness. We're going to have things that stress us out. We're going to be stuck at a red light or late to a meeting, but having these tools, like you mentioned, box breathing four, 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 those give us the ability to adapt and to have some control over our physiology. And I think that's powerful. One of the, the last questions we want to ask you is what fuels you on a daily basis? When I first get up, put my feet on the on, on the bed and try not to wake up Penelope because I usually wake up a, a little bit earlier than her. First thing is, how can I be of service? How, what life can I touch today? And, and so for me, you know, and then when I step outside, you know, uh, usually I take uh, our, our little dog, I, I take him outside. And then, of course, I don't have any shoes. So I'm literally grounding myself with Mother Earth, looking at the sky and saying, what a beautiful gift to be able to sing the song of life for one more day. And so what fuels me every day is the fact that I'm alive and I have a purpose and I'm here to affect others and to impact others. And, and I think that everything else opens up from that, from, from that perspective on. That's beautiful. You have such a great perspective and you're such an influence on us, as Manoli said. So thank you for sharing it with our listeners. Could you just let our listeners know where they can find you and all of your great resources? 
Yes. So uh, the website is uh, Dr. Uh, LaraWeightLoss.com. Uh, so D-R-L-A-R-A, the word weightloss.com. I obviously live in this beautiful uh, place of Florida and um, I'm in the Clearwater, Tampa area. Uh, I have several offices, one in downtown St. Pete and one in the uh, Palm Harbor, Clearwater uh, area. And then my shamanic center that I, uh, I'm in the midst of initiating, the name of it is Fire and Stone Shamanic Center. Again, bringing attention to the stones, which are the grandmother of the earth, hold all this beautiful wisdom and energy and can hold space for us. And of course, fire is transformational. And uh, if you were to describe me as what kind of a shaman I am, I, there's shamans that you know work with plant medicine. There's shamans that can work with water. I'm a fire shaman, so I work with fire. That's how we work uh, to transform our existence. Um, and you can access, of course, that kind of work uh, can be done through uh, the distance because, as you know, the quantum field is not limited. And so uh, when I put my hands on an intention, it doesn't matter that you're right next to me or whether you're 3,000 miles away. You know, uh, our ability to communicate uh, in, in, at the level of spirit is significantly more powerful than anything that we know. And so we can definitely, uh, uh, I can definitely help others through those means. But of course, if they can be present and, and personal, it, the, the uh, experience can be a lot more uh, rewarding. Thank you for spreading this wisdom and for your devotion to healing others. And it's been a true pleasure to have you on our podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been my honor to be present. So thank you so much.